Amen. Thank you, Brother Vaughn. Let's stand and take our Bibles this morning. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're so delighted you're here today. And again, we want to welcome all the guests and visitors that are here today. Hopefully you received a visitor's packet on the way in and you took that connection card and filled it out and gave it back to one of our greeters. We're delighted you're here today. And it's our prayer that the Lord will do a great work in your heart. Mark chapter 5, we're in a series of messages on faith and believing to go with our theme for this year. And it's our prayer that God will increase each of our faith today. Mark chapter 5, we're going to read a few verses this morning, so I want you to just hang with me today for a few minutes, and uh, we're praying that the message today will greatly, greatly help us. Mark chapter 5, notice verse 21, and we'll read down to verse 24, and then we're going to jump down to verse 35. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and he besought him greatly, saying, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. Go down with me a few verses. Would you notice verse 35? Verse 35, same chapter. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, notice this phrase, Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and he sent unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded them that something should be given her to eat. Lengthy passage of Scripture. A very, very real life story. If you have children that are 18 years of age and younger, this strikes a chord with all of us who are parents. I'm delighted this morning that we had our children's choir sing. And you can tell who the happy parents were because they had their phones out there, you know, like this. And the, the biggest smiles on the faces today in church are those who have their children up there singing. And, and your children did very, very well. And we're delighted to uh, that your children are in our program today. But those of you who've had children or grown children, you know that there's a special special space or spot you have in your heart for little children, especially when it's your child. But can you imagine putting yourself in the place of this man, a very prominent man? He's called a ruler of the synagogue. His name is Jairus. And he's at a point where money and connections and knowledge and everything else this world gives us could not bring his daughter back. And this man, he came, was at a very, very difficult point in life. You'll notice verse, verse 36. This is the key thought of our, our message this morning. Jesus spoke to him a very simple phrase. 
In fact, we're going to summarize it in two words. He said to him, be not afraid, only believe. And the text here literally means this. Keep believing. Keep believing. Don't stop having faith. Keep believing. Heritage Baptist Church, we're 19 years old. I want to encourage you. Let's keep believing. Let's keep having faith in God. Let's have faith in God doing more than we've ever seen before. And I want to encourage parents this morning as we get into the message. You may be facing challenges and difficulties in your home. Just keep believing. Keep believing the Lord. And this morning as we go to prayer, I'd like to ask again that we remember Brother Isagani Bellario in prayer. And then also Brother Ed Mascara reminded me this morning that uh, last night he was in the hospital with his granddaughter. And imagine just a little granddaughter had a stroke last night. And uh, they're seeing her through this. And she has some paralysis and things like that. She's coming out of it. But I think that strikes home very closely to all of us here when you think of something like that. And I'm glad to see our, our, our uh, Kathy back, Kathy Mercado back in church today. And, and her mother is, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And, and what a miracle story there. If we have a chance, I might share the story just what God's done for her mother. But uh, many of you here today, and then Mrs. Suzanne Wong, her husband, just went home to be with the Lord just two weeks ago. Many, many of our folks here in church are just going through times of trials and difficulties and uh, Brother Let spoke a great message on Friday on this past Monday night about that and reminded the church that either you're going into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of a trial for a respite of time and you'll probably go back into a trial again. And we just need to have faith and trust in God during these seasons and learning how to apply faith to those things. And that's our prayer this morning, that God will help us to just keep believing and realize the importance of having faith in the Lord. Now, Lord, today we thank you this morning. We're so delighted with everything we've heard. The choir, our adult choir and our children's choir have greatly encouraged our hearts. The congregational singing has blessed us and helped us. And just even the reading of the scriptures this morning have helped us today in understanding, Lord, your love for us, your concern. We thank you you're concerned about the one. We thank you that, Lord, that you never make any accidents. We thank you, the Lord, you do everything on purpose. We thank you, Lord, for the challenges and difficulties that we get in our lives, that they teach us to have faith in God. The Bible says the trial of our faith worketh patience. And so this morning as we come to you, we come to you as people that are greatly in need of help and strength. And I know many of our members, are their, their faith is waving right now. They need great help and strength right now to encourage your faith. And certainly for the Bellario family, uphold them during this time. We pray for Brother Isagani, who's having some health challenges and is in the hospital right now, that, God, you would touch his body with recovery and healing. We prayed this morning for Brother Ed Mascara's granddaughter, who had a stroke. And we just pray for her complete recovery and wellness and deliverance from paralysis. And many of our other members, Mrs. Suzanne Wong and others, and Kathy's mother and others who are here today who are coming, going through trials right now and difficulties and storms in their life. We pray that your strength and grace would be sufficient and perfect for them. And then, Lord, today for us as a congregation, we need to hear from you. We need a word from God. I pray that you'll help use me this morning to uh, encourage the faith and build the faith of our congregation. And then for some here this morning, perhaps they're on the cusp of getting saved and on the cusp of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. We ask this morning that you do a marvelous work in their hearts and bring them that realization, the importance of having faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Lord, meet every single spiritual need in this room today. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
two Sundays ago, I spoke about faith and we looked at the matter of just believing God. And we talked about winners and always being winners and not losers. And I talked about the importance of faith that's undergirding our life. And I kind of use as my introduction talking about one of our, our some of our Bay Area sports teams. And I was going back and looking at some things about our Bay Area sports teams that kind of coincides with the message. And, and uh, we've been blessed, I guess, as a as a local area, the Oakland, San Francisco area, with sports teams that have had uh, historically great championships. We've boasted of champions, uh, Super Bowl championships through the San Francisco 49ers in the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, the San Francisco Giants most recently in 2010, 2012, and 2014, they won the world championship in baseball. Back in the 70s, the Oakland Athletics, some of you go back as far as me, the Oakland Athletics uh, won three consecutive world championships in 72, 73, and 74, and then once again in 1989. And of course, the Oakland Raiders won the, the Super Bowl championship three different times between 77 and 91. And of course, as we said last time, our Golden State Warriors are kind of in a dynasty mode where they took a world championship in basketball in 2015 and 2017. We hope maybe this coming year in 2018. And one thing we have in common is that each of the teams, they had consecutive winning periods, but the fans who supported them just kept believing that their, that their teams would win. And I think many of the fans who loyally are following the Warriors right now feel the same thing. In Mark chapter, Mark chapter 5, we see something very interesting. Actually, going back to chapter 4, beginning Mark chapter 4, verse 35, to the end of chapter 5 of Mark, verse 43, we see God's power at work. And we're going to see in these verses of Scripture, we see God's power and faith working together. You see, where faith is applied, we see God at work. We notice in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, we see God's power at work over danger. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 19, we see God's power at work over demons. In Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34, perhaps a future message, maybe as soon as next week, we see God's power at work over disease. And in our passage this morning, we're seeing a very touching passage where we see God's power at work over death. You see, in each of these events, we see a test of faith. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of our faith is important. Uh, Mark t- James tells us in James chapter 1 that the trial of our faith worketh patience. God must work in us through trials and storms and challenges that are beyond us in order to grow. God wants us to grow. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God for a church that we're through our Sunday school ministries and through our preaching services and through our club ministries and, and through all the service we have during the week, our design is to preach the word of God that you might grow in knowledge. But not just in knowledge, we must also grow in grace. The Bible says, that the grace of God works in us. It just doesn't save us, but it works continually in us. And we can only experience God's grace work in our life when we have trials and storms and challenges and difficulties going on in our lives. And in each of these passages, notice we see the test of faith on someone's part. Now, I think I have a pretty good handle on a lot of our members today, but Maybe some of you here today, you're going through a challenge that you're, you're going through all by yourself. It may be an employment difficulty. It might be a family difficulty. It might be a health difficulty. It might be a financial difficulty. Whatever it may be, I just want to assure you this morning that God, as he's working through your faith, he's trying to build your faith. You see, as we look at faith this morning, 
faith is to be exercised in the Christian life. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whatever you're going through right now, God is doing that, that you might learn to exercise faith. Uh, there are times when our faith must be elastic. God wants to stretch our faith. God will put something in our lives to get us to learn how to pray and see answers to prayer. And God wants us to experience that. There are times when our faith needs to be extraordinary. I believe what God has been doing through Heritage Baptist Church for 19 years is an extraordinary faith. I was alluding to Kathy Mercado. I hope Kathy doesn't mind me sharing this, but Kathy had shared with our church, and I think I may have shared this a couple of weeks ago. She, Kathy had shared with me a few weeks ago about her mother being diagnosed with a brain tumor, and Kathy went back to the Philippines to be with her mother to help her through that process. And in the midst of all that, her mother started having some other health challenges. She was having some internal bleeding that was going on, and they were trying to uh, locate that, and that combined with other things. Uh, the doctors were thinking about doing some surgery on her, and I remember it was a Wednesday, Wednesday, it was actually a Tuesday evening that I got a text message from Kathy from, uh, well, she was in the Philippines, Pastor, would you pray for my, my mother? And uh, her situation. And I remember taking my phone that, that day as I got the text message. And I'm putting it on the floor. And got on my knees and started praying. Asking God to intervene for Mrs. Dominguez. And amazingly before I entered the pulpit for our Wednesday night service of that week. I got a message back from Kathy. And said, Pastor, thank you for praying. Uh, the doctors got back to me. And just said that the bleeding has stopped. They won't need to do that surgery. Which we felt would be very intrusive in her life. And we're very thankful for things like that. But that was a time, extraordinary time for our faith to be stretched. And realize we had to depend on God. It was something the doctors could not solve and work through. It was something medical science really wasn't certain about. But we thank God this morning that we have a God in heaven who knew. Amen. And God worked in that situation. But faith is also exciting. It is our goal and desire this year in 2018 that you be excited about faith and the exercise of faith today. This morning, notice we're, 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 our whole message centers on a man by the name of Jairus. And just two words that Jesus gives this man. He encourages Jairus at a time of great difficulty to keep on believing. Believing, to keep believing on what God is able to do. I want you to notice three things about our study this morning that will touch your life and mine, and I pray will help us to be greater Christians for God. The first thing I want you to notice in verses 21 to 23 is we see a man and his desperate request. A man and his desperate request. Jesus, leading into this passage, has crossed from the, from the western side of the Sea of Galilee over to the eastern side, and he's been in the area called the area of Gadara. There, in those preceding verses, Jesus has dealt with a man that is demon-possessed, a man who made his dwelling among the tombs, a man that was fierce and violent and crude and filthy and vile. He had been defiled by these demons. And Jesus came alongside of that man and healed that man and cast those demons out of him. So extraordinary was the work of God in that man's life that the Bible describes this man's condition that after Jesus got the demons out, the Bible says the man was next to Jesus. He was saved, sitting, and in his right mind. And that's a good description that when, when God gets a hold of our lives, we get saved and we want to sit next to Jesus and we're in our right mind, our thinking is right and our thinking is correct. And this man just wanted to spend his time with Jesus. But the rest of the Gadarene community didn't feel the same as that man. They didn't want Jesus there because when those demons were expelled and there were thousands of demons inside that man, those demons asked the permission of Jesus to go inside a herd of swine that were on the hillside. When those demons inhabited the bodies of those, of those swine and Hogs, those hogs went violating down the hillside and drowned themselves. And the keepers of those hogs were very upset. And superstition proceeded, went, went, uh, took its place over faith. And people spread the word about, about this great fearful thing that happened. And instead of rejoicing what God had done, the people became very violent and told Jesus, get out of our coast. We don't want
want you here. In spite of the fact Jesus could have done many more works there in Gadara, they didn't want him there. So Jesus boards a ship as we look at this passage. And he goes back to the western side, probably the southwestern side of the, of the area of the Sea of Galilee. And while he's there, you'll notice in verse 21, while he's there... Just getting out of the ship, a man approaches him. A man leaves the synagogue of the local city there. And that man happens to be a man by the name of Jairus. And we see this man coming, but not coming as you and I would normally think of it. Notice the first thing we see about this this man is that he's an honorable superintendent. Verse 21 says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. The scriptures give attention to this man in his occupation. This man was a layman. He was not a rabbi. He was a layman and he was considered a ruler of the synagogue. A ruler of the synagogue could be considered like a a trustee or a steward or a groundskeeper or someone that was basically in charge of all the building facilities and the maintenance of everything having to do with the synagogue. This man was well paid. He was a wealthy man. We read later on that he had servants in his home and he was very prominent. We This man was a wealthy man. This man was a working man. This man was very intricately involved in the synagogue and taking care of it. He had to know where everything was at. He had to give account, good accounting to the, to the rabbis and others about what was going on. He kept the synagogue clean. He made sure that the teaching was ready to go. He was an important figure there. He was a well-established individual. In fact, verse 21 tells us he was one of the rulers of the synagogue. He was a wealthy man. He was a working man. He was a wise man. He was someone that people would go to for wisdom, for counsel, for advice, and for guidance. We find here a man who's very prominent in Jewish society. A man very prominent among the inhabitants of the of the towns of Galilee there. This man was well known. He was very prominent. We're told his name was Jairus and people knew him. In fact, the very name Jairus means whom God enlightens. But we see something else about this man. Not only was he an honorable superintendent, but notice the purpose why this man came to Jesus was not to introduce himself as the ruler and not to come to Jesus to introduce himself as having many servants and not to introduce himself to Jesus so that he might have another connection. This man had a burden. He had a trial. He had a concern in his life. And we notice something else about this man. We notice this man is a hurting soul. Notice verse 21 and 22, 22 and 23 again. The Bible tells us this. It says, and there cometh, behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, that is when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Very unusual situation. He didn't come to bow and give reverence to Jesus. He came and he fell to the feet of Jesus in a worshipful manner and atmosphere. And he besought him greatly saying, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. This man was hurting. He came to Jesus because his world was falling apart. As Brother Ed came to me this morning, Brother Brother uh, Irwin was reminding me today, Brother Ed came to me this morning, he said, Pastor, I just had a rough night yesterday. He said, my granddaughter went to the hospital to be with her. She had a stroke and has some paralysis and things of that nature, and we're very, very concerned about that. I don't know about you, but when a child gets a high temperature, when a child has to be hospitalized, when a child is diagnosed with an illness and the doctors have more questions than answers, as a parent, we, we're urgent. We feel like we, our world is falling apart. We feel like we need, we need help at that situation, that time. And we're looking for expertise and help in different ways.
ways. We feel like this man Jairus as he was. His soul was breaking inside. He describes a situation in verse 22 and 23 that his little daughter lieth at the point of death. This was his only child. He had no other children. This was his only daughter. She was the jewel of his eye. She was the apple of his eye. He loved this daughter. He lavished upon this daughter. He couldn't think of anything greater than the fact that he wanted to see his daughter marry right and to be a grandfather one day. But now at the age of 12, this girl, whatever the sickness she has, she was getting worse and worse. I don't know about you as a parent, but watching your children get sick and then seeing them decline and deteriorate and not get better, that just burdens your heart as a father and a mother. And he watched his daughter as her palp- his palpitations set in, as her breathing became more shallow, as she became, she started to perspire, as she started to become less conscious, as her eyes were starting to fade out. And she'd cry to her mother and father. And she'd say, Daddy, help me. Daddy, get the doctor. I need some help. And the doctors all throughout Galilee couldn't help him. And this man, Jairus, was a well-connected man. He was a wealthy man. He could go to the best doctors throughout the, the towns of Galilee, but there was no doctor in town that could help his daughter. There was nobody in town that could help him. Her condition worsened. The doctors could do nothing for her. Minutes seemed, seconds seemed like minutes. Minutes felt like hours. Hours felt like days. Days felt like months and months felt like years. And this man, as he comes to Jesus, I want you to understand how urgent and how pressing this moment was. As he came to Jesus, he knew that his daughter could die at any moment. He realized at that moment of time that every second counted, that there, he could not have delay, that he could not be put behind. He realized he needed God to come into his life right at that moment of time. And he realized he needed he needed help. And he'd heard about Jesus and, and everything he heard about him gave him enough faith to believe. I believe this man can help me. And he came to Jesus as a hurting soul. Charles Spurgeon said this, there is no university for a Christian like that of sorrow and trial. Jairus was in the school of adversity and he could not, in an adversity that he could not solve. Spurgeon also said this, too many people write their blessings in the sand but engrave their sorrows in marble. And I thought that's just a great thought because many times we, we tend to, to magnify our sorrows and our trials and we don't do enough in giving God the glory for the blessings that he gives us. This man was hurting in his soul. This man was an honorable superintendent. But notice something else in verses 22, 23. This man comes with a humble supplication. This man comes not to ask money for Jesus. He doesn't come to ask for counsel of Jesus. He's coming to ask for divine intervention for Jesus. Look again at verse 23. The Bible says he fell at the feet of Jesus and the Bible says he besought him greatly. Let me tell you this morning if you want a prayer that's going to get a hold of God, you've got to behold it. You've got to beseech God greatly. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'm going to tell you how urgent this man was. He went up to Jesus almost literally like grabbing Jesus by his by his clothing and holding on him saying, God, I'm not going to let you go. Jesus, I need you to come to me, come with me to my home. I don't care what everything else is going on. I need you to come with my home. In other words, whatever Jesus had on his agenda, this man kind of just inserted himself before all that and said, I need you very desperately to come right now. I need your help right now. I, I don't have a minute to spare. I don't have seconds to spare. I need you right now. He said, I need you in my life right now. And he beseeches them. And notice, ma'am, how specific his request is. 
He says, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Hey, we can learn a lot from this man's prayer. We can learn a lot how specific he was. You see, Jesus taught as he taught about prayer. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For he that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And he that knocketh shall be opened unto him. What man of you, if he has a son, if he should ask for bread, will he give him a stone? If he should ask for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give good things to them that ask him? This man was hurting inside. He came out of necessity. He came out of desperation. He came in faith and he came in humility. I wonder this morning, are you going through a trial? I wonder this morning, are you a hurting soul? I wonder this morning, are you going through difficulty times that you don't even know how to express to your husband or your wife or express to your children or express to somebody else what's going inside of you? You feel like an earthquake of a magnitude 10.0 is happening inside your chest and your heart is about to burst. Let me encourage you this morning, if, that, if, if the answer is yes and you're feeling that way, listen, you can come to Jesus with humble supplication just like this man. Charles Spurgeon said this, It is the burning lava of the soul that is a furnace within. A very volcano of grief and sorrow. It is that burning lava of prayer that finds its way to God. No prayer ever reaches God's heart, which does not come from our own hearts. When trials come, I urge you this morning, pray. Christian pray. Notice we see a desperate request. This man came and brought his request to Jesus. He said, sir, come down. Come with me. He said, sir, come. If you could just lay your hand on her, I know that she would be healed and made well. That was his request. But notice the second thing. Jesus decides to go with this man. Praise God for that. Amen. Jesus decides to go with him. We not only see a desperate request, but you notice this morning, I want to bring it down to home where we're at this morning. We see a daddy's resolve. It's all about a father. It's not all about the ruler of the synagogue. It's about a daddy. It's about a father who is very burdened about his situation. Jairus responds immediately to, 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 to Jesus responds immediately to his, his invitation. Notice he makes a request in verse 23. But notice in verse 24, Jesus goes with him. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. Listen, this man had a resolve. If Jesus will go with me, I know things will be better. Let me encourage you today. Whatever prayer request you bring before God, God has something always great in mind for you. I remind you this morning the promise found in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And Jesus went with him. And I just imagine putting myself in Jairus' shoes for just a minute. He realized that every second counted and he needed to get Jesus to his home to touch his daughter. He said, if you just lay your hand on her, I know she should be well. And he was so excited that Jesus just said, hey, I'll go with you. I'll go with you, sir. I'll get there. And we're going to see a daddy's resolve because we're going to see as Jesus is making his way with Jairus back to Jairus's home, there, there would be some things that would happen along the way that would greatly test and stretch the faith of Jairus. The first thing we see in this man, we see in verses 24 to 34, we see the unforeseen delays. Now notice what happens here. You know, when it's your problem and your situation, you don't want any interferences. You don't want any delays. And this man was thinking, I know I've got Jesus' attention. He's coming to me right now. But notice the description we're given in verse 24. It says, as Jesus went with him, much people followed him. And notice the phrase, they thronged him. Now, I don't know about you. I don't mind crowds, but when I'm in a hurry, I don't like crowds. How many agree with that? Amen. 
And when you're in a hurry, you don't want to be driving in traffic. Amen. Uh, you know, I said, like going to the airport. I don't like standing in lines. I'm thankful for TSA. How many thankful for TSA pre-check? Amen. You just go around there and you beat all that stuff. And, and, uh, you know, there can be some mornings, like a Monday morning, if you're a commuter and you're going from here to somewhere else, the lines at Oakland airport at Southwest could be very, very long. And you're just thinking, man, I wish I had TSA pre-check at the moment. Right. And uh, sometimes we could be around crowds or maybe they're in the holidays. I don't know about you, but going to Costco during holidays or shopping malls, it is a zoo there. Amen. And it could take you, it could take you longer to just get out of the parking lot than it did for you to go shopping at Costco. Amen. And so, you know, you get around these throngs and, and you feel like you're just saying, okay, I can't do anything about this and you just got to go on. Well, this man, Jairus is thinking, man, I'm just going to make my way to the house and take Jesus there. But these, this crowd of people strong him as he's talking to Jesus, more and more people are assembling. Now I understand when you have crowds of people, that just slows you down and you can't go as fast as you want. And people are slowing him down and people are trying to touch Jesus and people are trying to talk to Jesus and people are trying to ask him questions and things. And this, this crowd of people are throwing you around him and it's slowing things down. Not about you, but I get the feel. And Jairus is kind of like Pastor Fong, very type A and very impatient sometimes. Amen. And I can see him going like this. Come on, man. Come on. Let's get going. Get out the way, please. You know, I got to get Jesus to my home. And he's thinking inside of himself, we got to get Jesus. I got to get Jesus to my home. But the crowds are stopping him. Well, that was one thing. But he said, OK, you know, I, I know I've got I've got the son of God with me. And I, I think I've got enough faith to believe that he's got the power to help my daughter. But he's getting a little anxious about that. And then we get to verse 25. Not only do we see a crowd throwing him, but we notice in verses 25 to 34, a certain woman, which had an issue of blood for 12 years comes up. Now, this woman was part of the crowd, but the description we're giving this lady is incredible. This lady was having a hemorrhaging problem. And with this hemorrhaging problem, she was, there were several things that happened to her. One of those things was that she was just considered sick and ill. And you notice if you read verse 26, this woman's condition was so bad, the Bible says she sought many doctors and none of the doctors could help her. You ever been down that path? You got some kind of sickness. You go from one doctor to one specialist to one specialist. They all disagree. They don't know what's going on. And you start getting worried like, don't these guys know what they're doing? I mean, and then they go to medical school to get some, some ideas about what's going on here. And so none of them could help her. But the Bible describes a very sad situation. It said she suffered many things of many physicians. Now, some believe that uh, the physicians did some experimental things with her. And some think that they did some some old wise fables experimentations with her. And there are things they did with her that, that were not very good. And she suffered many things of many physicians. And not only that, the Bible says she spent all that she had on her medical condition. And she was nothing the better, but rather grew worse. I mean, this lady's condition was very bad. Now, this woman comes up behind Jesus. She's very shy. She's got this medical condition. But there's a second thing. This woman also has been cast out the t- out of the synagogue. She's considered unclean by Jewish law because of her hemorrhaging. And because of her hemorrhaging, she was not allowed to fellowship in the synagogue. I want you to understand something. The moment she was diagnosed with this sickness for 12 years, she lost the privilege and right in the Jewish community to worship God. Can you imagine that? No one would allow her to come in. She was treated like a leper. She was treated as someone that had an incurable disease. She could not worship God. I don't know about you, but this woman was was going through just going through just just a very, very terrible situation. But she also heard that Jesus was in town and somehow she made her way there and she kind of moved her way around the crowd and got next to Jesus. And in her mind, she had she had preconceived this thought. She she had premeditated this thought. She says, you know what, if I can just go behind him and touch the back of his garment. 
I could just touch his robe, Jesus says, I know I'll be healed. Not about you, Jairus had great faith, but this woman who was hemorrhaging, she had a lot of great faith. She didn't, all she knew is what she heard about Jesus. And she said, if I just come behind him and just grab him, uh, grab, grab his garment from behind, I know that I can be healed. I know that, I know that it'll touch him. And so that he'll touch me and, and do something for it. And she comes up and she does that. She touches, she has enough faith. She touches him and we read this passage of scripture. She's, the Bible says she knew immediately, she felt immediately that she'd been healed. She felt that this hemorrhaging and the terrible illness she had and the fainting she had and the paleness she had and everything associated with just the, lo- the loss of iron, iron deficiencies and all these things. She felt like her body was well again and all that she lost over 12 years, she at that moment in time instantaneously, she regained all of that and she thought, wow, I'm well and I'm healed and, uh, and Jesus stops because he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, who touched me? And his disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? Jesus, look at all these hundreds of people around you. I mean, everybody's touched you, Jesus. What do you mean who touched you? He says, no, somebody touched me and I felt like virtue came out of me. He says, somebody touched you. Now, he knew what was going on, but he did that purposely to have the lady come forth. And the lady came forth and she said, he said, now tell me the truth. What did you do here? And he wanted her to make a, a, an admission, a confession, what she did here. Let me say this to you. A lot of times when we talk to people about putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in private people are glad to do that. And private people are a little shy about praying in front of their spouse. And, and private people are a little bit shy about praying in front of a crowd of people. We give an invitation. I understand that. Many times we'll give an invitation. I know in many hearts, God is speaking to hearts about getting saved. But a lot of times people tell me, Pastor, I just want to talk to you one-on-one or Talk to somebody else one-on-one about this and they'll, they'll, they'll call upon the Lord to save them and we'll find out later on. I understand that. But listen, this woman, Jesus teaches a very, very important truth about confessing Jesus Christ our Savior. Because as we go down here, notice the words of Jesus in chapter 5 here. In verse 33, the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. This woman, Jesus, God did not want her to be a secret believer. He didn't want her just to privately call on the Lord, to touch him by faith and not have anybody know about it. This was a great opportunity to testify of the power of God that worked this lady's life. And it's very interesting. Verse 33 says she came with fear and trembling. She was like like 300 people in this room right now. We're all shy. We don't really want to stand up in front of a crowd and say something there. But she came and the Bible specifically tells us she came and told all the truth. She basically stood there and uh, again, bear in mind, Jairus is standing with Jesus, hoping they'll get this home very soon. And this woman stops and uh, she had a lot to tell Jesus. She may have just taken a moment and I think she may have given 12 years of history about all the doctors she saw and all the medication she was on and all the old wise fables that she was under and so forth there that didn't do her any good. And she said, yes, I was the one who touched you and I thought I, I could just touch you that I would be healed and that uh, she was healed. And Jesus just paused for just a minute to have this woman say something. Now watch this this morning. I want you to see this here. These unforeseen delays, there's first, there's one thing I want you to see. First of all, I'm thankful that Jesus takes time for every one of us, aren't you? I mean, I'm glad this morning, when we think about the crowd of people and Jairus' need, it did not stop Jesus from taking time for that one person. Now, you and I are not like Jesus Christ. I think there are times we feel like we want to be in many places at one time and we want to help many people one time, but humanly speaking, it's not possible. But I'm thankful for a Savior that did not limit his situation to where he would only help Jairus. He stopped that moment of time. He let everything else stop so he could just stop at that moment to heal this lady and touch her. There's a second thing I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that Jesus stopped to let this woman know that she was 
was love. Because this woman spent 12 years in misery, isolation, and embarrassment. Because people in the synagogue area knew that she had this hemorrhaging problem. And they just they didn't see her as a woman who had a need. They saw her as a woman that was unclean. And because she was unclean, that basically she wasn't allowed in. And Jesus stopped and did something the rabbis didn't do. And did something that even Jairus himself did not do as a ruler of the synagogue. He stopped and let this woman know that she was loved. Now let me just pause and say this just something to you this morning. No matter who you are and where you're at in life, man, encourage you today. Jesus stops right now in this service to let you know that you're loved. He said, Pastor, you don't know what I've gone through this week. I don't know, but he does. And he knows where you're at right now. And you don't know what you're going to go through this week, but he does. And I want to encourage this morning. Jesus stops just long enough to let you and I know that we're loved. But you notice we have this throng of people and we have these we have this lady that's stopping there. But we've got to go back to Jairus. This was an un, these were unforeseen delays. He's like, Jesus, we need to get to my house. And I'm, I'm thankful you stopped for this lady. But this lady needs to stop talking and I need to get to my house right now, Jesus. And he's just thinking, Jesus, we've got to get there. And I don't know about you, but I can see I can see Jairus getting like this. He's, he's, he's moving his foot like this. Come on, Jesus, we've got to go. We've got to go. We gotta go, Jesus. We gotta go. We gotta go, Jesus. You know, and uh, I can see him getting very, very anxious. There were the unforeseen delays. Hey, may I remind you something this morning. God's delays are never God's denials. And God's delays are God's love at work for us and teaching us that God works past those circumstances and situations to help us realize how much he cares and loves us. His delays are always his love being exemplified in your life and mine. We see the unforeseen delays, but quickly notice in verse 35, we see an unexpected disclosure. Man, Jairus is excited because this lady's taken care of and they start their way and uh, they, they go their way there. And this woman's been healed. And the Bible says in verse 35, they're starting to make their way again. But just as they made just a couple steps there, people come from Jairus's house. They saw this throng of people and they said, he must be there with the master. He must be there with the great rabbi and teacher there. And so people came from his house and notice verse 35, if you would. And this was not a message of good news that he received because he's going to receive an unexpected disclosure. They come to him. And remember, for Jairus, man, every second was counting because he said, my daughter is at the point of death. She could expire at any moment. She could die at every moment. He, I mean, I mean, when he left the house, her breathing became shallower and shallower and shallower and her blood pressure was dropping and dropping and dropping and her skin was becoming colder and colder and colder and he just watched her situation she was she was diminishing in his in appearance there and while he was waiting for jesus to get going notice in verse 35 it says while he yet spake there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said thy daughter is dead why troubles thy the master any further oh listen he couldn't have expected anything worse in that situation they came out and they gave him this statement thy daughter is dead well, I would expect a little bit more compassion than that, amen? I would expect someone to just put their arm around and be compassionate, but there was no compassion in that statement. It said, my daughter's dead. And I don't know about you, but Jairus, he had all this faith built up inside of him as he heard about Jesus and he made his way as Jesus came off the ship when he made, came from the area of Gadara on the east side over to Galilee on the west side. And his faith is built up. And he, and he makes this statement in the earlier verses. If you just come and lay your hand on my daughter, she'll be well. And his faith is saying, I know he can do it. I know he can do it. I know he can do it. But I got to get him there before my daughter dies. And you know, he had enough faith to believe that Jesus could touch his daughter while she was alive. But he didn't have enough faith to believe Jesus could touch his daughter if she died. 
And so he's looking at the situation and he's thinking, man, we got to get her there. And I've got the crowd stopping me. And I've got this woman who's got this, this hemorrhaging problem stopping me. And then now this group comes from his home and he's, and he's wondering as he sees them come and they just blurt out, thy daughter is dead. And imagine if you were Jairus for just a moment. What would that do to you? Now is your world coming to a crashing halt. There are a myriad of thoughts going through your mind. The roots of bitterness are starting to come up out of your soul. And things you might be thinking would be, Jesus, why did we wait so long? Or you might be blaming yourself as a father. Why did I wait so long to go to him? Why didn't I have greater faith earlier? Why didn't I get to church earlier? You see, this morning, when death occurs in many, in all situations, when death occurs, humanly speaking, it's too late. When death occurs, there's no turning back. Things go on in life, but we're gone. Let me tell you this morning, if you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, when death occurs, it's too late to get saved at that moment of time. And this man is thinking his life, I, I wish I went to Jesus sooner. And then they said something that's very troubling in verse 35. They said, well, they didn't have the faith of Jairus. They said, why are you troubling the master any further? Let him go about his business. You've watched your daughter decline in health. You've watched her. She's diminished in health. She's gone. Why do you trouble him anymore? Can I tell you something this morning? You never trouble Jesus with your problems. You never trouble Jesus. He always has time for you. And he always has time for me. Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me remind you this morning, Jesus is never bothered by our requests. Jesus is always touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus is the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus weeps with us. When you hit bottom, the world is crashing down. Listen, you are never troubling God with your needs. Never feel like you're troubling God. Jesus is always there for you. We see the unforeseen delays and we see the unexpected disclosure. Thy daughter is dead. But you notice in verse 36, notice how Jesus responds to that. And notice in verse 36, Jesus gives to Jairus an undeniable directive. At that moment in time, I could see Jairus just being numb for a moment. How do you process this? What do you mean my daughter's dead? How do you process that? And then as he starts to come to, he's, the feelings of sorrow are starting to rise in his soul. And he's starting to realize, well, if she's dead, maybe they're right. I don't need to bring Jesus anymore. And I can see just a moment, and Jesus heard their statement as they made that, and he looked at the face of Jairus, and Jairus excels even more trouble. You can see the contorments in his face, and you can see the anxiety in his soul. You can feel the hopelessness in his heart. And at that moment of time, Jesus said in verse 36, as soon as, soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith to the ruler of the synagogue, isn't that interesting? He says to him as a man of position, and not as a man by the name of Jairus. He says to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. He's saying to this man, it's okay, I'm still here with you. He says, he was saying to Jairus, don't be afraid, put all your faith in me. He's simply telling Jairus, Jairus, I just want to tell you this this morning. He says, just keep believing. Jairus, just keep believing the same faith that propelled you to come to me and besought me and asking me to come with me. He says, that faith can still help you during this period of time. He said, just keep believing. Keep believing that I'm powerful. Keep believing that I'm God. Keep believing that my word is true. Keep believing that my power still works. Keep believing that prayer 
can be answered. Just keep believing. Listen, we need to keep believing that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We need to keep believing that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We need to keep believing that we have a God in heaven who still answers prayer. We need to keep believing that the God of the mountain is still the God of the valley. We need to keep believing that God is Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai. We need to keep believing that he's the most high God, El Elyon. We must keep believing that nothing is impossible with God. I'm going to tell you this morning, wherever you may be at personally, just keep believing that God has never changed. Listen, time will tell you God, God has changed and other people will tell you what God has changed. But I'm going to tell you, according to the word of God, God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. As we go forward as a church, I want to encourage you as a church, we need to keep believing. We need to keep believing that God still wants to save souls. And we need to keep believing that God still wants missionaries to be sent out of the church. And God, we need to keep believing that that building can be finished and the funds can be raised to pay it off. And we need to keep believing that God wants to reach this entire area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to keep believing that God will call men out from this congregation and raise up preachers to help us start churches for His glory. We need to keep believing that God can give you the power to forgive. And we need to keep believing that God will give you the ability to love. And we need to keep believing that God will give you the ability to withstand those trials and circumstances you're going through. We just need to listen to the words of the Lord and just keep believing. And by the way, if you're someone overcome with darkness and someone overcome with insecurity and someone overcome with bitterness in your heart, just keep believing this morning that God still loves you today. Well, that's what Jairus needed to hear. Be not afraid, only believe. We get down to verse 38 and notice we see the unbelieving doubters. You know, I love about being in church. When God's word is open, there's at least one or more verses God gives us that helps us through the week. If you weren't here Monday night, I encourage you to go on to our podcast. And back Monday and Tuesday, Dr. Ouellette preached great messages to help us. Great messages to help us. And Monday night he preached it from Mark chapter 4 about the storms and faith during the storm and about the unbelief of the, the believers. Not about you, but I had several members come up to me and they said, Pastor, that was exactly what I needed. He says, you don't, God does, you don't even know what I'm going through right now. And I look at that situation and, you know, as soon as, as soon as we get something, a word of encouragement like that, we have to be very careful because somehow unbelieving doubters make their way to us and, and throw some stones of doubt at us and try to get us discouraged. And notice what happens here while they make their way. And Peter, uh, Peter James and John are going with Jesus and to Jairus. And uh, notice in verse 38, when he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. Now, they had these professional mourners who came to the house. I mean, these people were waiting. They're, they're watching. They knew as days went by, this girl wasn't going to make it. They say, well, if, if Jairus feels better, let him go to Jesus. If he feels better, let him go to the master, but it's not going to help him. And so they got ready and her breathing became shallower as her, as her, as her blood pressure continued to drop and death was on the scene. As soon as she passed away, there was no more breath in her. There was no more pulse beat, no more heartbeat. As soon as that happened, <clears throat> These Jewish professional whalers came and they came there and it was just it was just it was just a zoo. And I just put it that way. I mean, they're just crying and wailing. And the Bible describes it as a tumult. It was chaotic in that situation. There's crying and there's wailing. And I've been to a few funerals along the way where, where uh, not, of unbelievers where they they're hopeless and don't know what's going on. And there's the crying and the wailing to the place where it's just quietly, quite frankly, very frightening and scary. You listen, crying out loud and making statements that, that were just 
showing they're besides himself. And this is going on at this, at this time. The little girl's lying on her bed. She's declared physically dead, brain dead and heart dead. And the, the Bible says as Jesus came there, they saw the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And Jesus comes in and he looked at that situation. And I want you to consider the question Jesus made to them. He says, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. Now, Jesus had to make this statement because Jesus has the power over death. Amen. Because he's the giver of life. Satan is the giver of death. But praise God, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. And so they needed to hear that statement. He says, why make ye this ado and weep? Hey, beloved, let me help you this morning. Death for the Christian is not defeat. Death for the Christian is victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Let me remind you this morning, when death occurs to the Christian, listen, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Death for the Christian is graduation. Death for the Christian is entering into the presence of the Lord. Death for the Christian is the glorification of what, of what they formerly wore. Listen, you are perfect. You are immortal. You are incorruptible in the very presence of God. But these unbelieving doubters did not feel the same way. When Jesus said she's not dead but sleepeth, he's referring to them later on as we'll see about a future resurrection. And notice verse 4. These unbelieving doubters, they laughed him to scorn. They said, what do you mean she's alive? And they started laughing and say, oh, you're you're just don't believe what he says. And they said, you know, they just laughed to scorn. They just said, who do you think you are? And I want to remind you this morning that as you grow in faith and put your faith in the Lord and start trusting God with the little things and the big things in your life, there somehow along the way, unbelieving, skeptical doubters will come along the way and try to throw cold water on your fire and try to quench your belief and try to quench your faith. And they'll try to steal that from you. But as we see these unbelieving doubters, I'm going to remind you this morning in verse 40, we have to look at this man Jairus and determine what did Jairus do? Did he let the unbelieving doubters sway him? Did he let them persuade him not to go on? Did he just accept faith? That's the way it was. And we see an unwavering decision. Notice in verse 40, as they laughed in the scorn, Jesus gets involved. Because at that moment in time, Jairus was paralyzed. Jairus didn't know what to do. Jairus, as strong as he was, as wise as he was, as powerful as that man was, at that moment in time, he was like a little helpless baby. He couldn't think on his own. He wasn't sure what to do. He was paralyzed in his heart. Not sure. Listen, he was at the place where if you've ever been there, where his Nights would have been long and his days would have been very, very difficult. And at that moment in time, he lets Jesus take him by the hand and he lets Jesus take him and he lets Jesus lead him. And notice in verse 40, we see this man having an unwavering decision. But when he, that is Jesus, had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him. That is Peter, James and John, the inner three. And they entered in where the damsel was lying at that moment of time. His complete, he had to, he, all he could do is cling to Jesus. Jesus took him by the hand. Hey, there's a time in our faith where we, we lift out our hand to try to hold Jesus, to take hold of Jesus. But there comes a time when we're wavering because we're scared and we're, we're fearful because we don't know what the answers are. We don't know what the future holds. When those times come, that's when we need to let the Lord take hold of us. Amen. Because it's better to put your trust in the Lord than put your trust in men. It's better to put your trust in the Lord and put your trust in princes. Listen, this morning, we have to realize as we read Psalms 118, God cares more about your situation than you care about it yourself. He took that powerful man by the name of Jairus by the hand. He says, okay, Jairus, I'm going to help you. No, he didn't take Jairus by the hand, but this is the first time Jairus' wife, Mrs. Jairus, meets Jesus. And he takes Mrs. Jairus and Mr. Jairus. He takes them both by the hand. And Peter, James, and John are just wondering, what is the Lord going to do in this situation? She's declared physically dead. She is physically dead. What are we going to do here? And Jesus is taking control. He's exercising leadership. They're following him into that room. They're going to come into that inner chamber where Jesus is going to perform a great miracle. We're going to see God at work. All I'm trying to say 
needed right now is at that moment of time, this man had faith and his faith was being rocked and his faith was being shot at and his faith was being, being discouraged by the unbelieving doubters. But that man had an unwavering resolve. He had a daddy's resolve. He says, you know what? I'm going to trust Jesus in my situation. Hey, let me have you tonight, husbands and fathers. Listen, today, you may be a great man and you may be a great man in the gym and you may be a great man in your athletics and you might be running some races and you might be able to deadlift 500 pounds and you might be able to do all these, these great activities. But there's going to come in time when you're going to, God's going to put a trial in your life and you're going to realize how helpless and weak you are. And it's during those moments of time, we've got to hold on to Jesus. And just like Jairus, we must have a daddy's resolve. Listen, no matter where your children are at, no matter what happens in the situation, have a daddy's resolve that Jesus is greater than the problem and Jesus is greater than the disease and Jesus is greater than the circumstance because Jesus is God and he's God all powerful for you and me. One of my favorite preachers, F.B. Myers, said this such a great statement. Listen, unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God, but faith puts God between us and our circumstances this morning. A little boy, their house got on fire. It was a two-story home. And little boy, had many times, had just got out the window, learned how to climb up, to get on top of the roof, and he'd play up there. And the fire had, had occurred so quickly and it spread downstairs. The father and all the members of the family were able to get out. But the, the little boy, when he, by the time he woke up, realized that he couldn't go down the stairs and the hallway was burning up and he didn't know what to do. So the first thing went in his mind was survival instinct. He thought, well, you know, I've climbed up to the roof many times before. Maybe I'll climb, I'll just go up to the side of the window and go up to the top of the roof. But as soon as he was on top of the roof, he started realizing, what am I going to do? In a moment of time, the flames are going to leap through the floor and they're going to leap through the roof. This place will burn up. And he looked down and he saw his father there and his dad was calling. And he says, son, just jump, jump, son, just jump. He says, daddy, daddy, what do you mean jump? He says, just jump. I'll catch him right here. He said, but daddy's so dark and the smoke is going out. He says, I see smoke now and it's getting darker. Daddy, what, what if I miss? Daddy, I, I can't even see you. What if I jump? Daddy, I can't see you. What if I should jump? He says, son, you may not be able to see me, but I can see you. I remind you this morning, sometimes you can't see God in your circumstances. Sometimes you can't see past the promise of the scripture. And sometimes you can't get past the hope that God gives. And though you can't see him, bless God today, God sees you wherever you may be at right now. As we close this morning, I want you to see we a desperate request. You see a daddy's resolve. But you notice a daughter's resurrection. By the way, aren't you glad in all this Jesus is in control? They go inside in verse 46 into the room where the little girl's at. I've been to many hospital rooms. I've been to many homes. Where there's been a passing of a loved one. If you've been there, you know what I'm going to say. There's a solemnness when you walk in that room. And even a little bit of unease as to wanting, Lord, help me to say the right thing. Or help me, Lord, not to say anything, but just to be helped these people. And I want you to imagine me just for a moment now. Mrs. Jairus is weeping. Their only daughter. And Jairus is shaking. He has faith. Instead of him holding Jesus, Jesus is holding on to him. And Peter, James, and John, I mean, they had seen some things happen. But right at that moment in time, they're feeling like, oh, what, what's going to happen now? If we look at verses 41 to 43, the Lord Jesus Christ is in complete control. 
And Jesus is going to take control. And this will be this will be the first physical resurrection of a dead individual that Jesus performs during his ministry. And this one establishes a precedent for many things to come. And I want to notice where there's resurrection. Praise the Lord. There is life. I'll be talking about it tonight. I'll be talking about it next Sunday for our victory report, our, our annual business meeting for our church members. But on April 1st of this year, that, that, is, that is Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And on that Sunday, we are making that for the first six months of the year. That is our big, big outreach. It's an outreach we want to get all the church involved and involved to some degree. I'm praying for hundreds and hundreds of volunteers that everyone can find a way to get involved. And we'll see hundreds and hundreds of visitors come over two nights of services that will hear God's preaching and the music that will encourage them. And the reason why we're doing that, because resurrection does not speak of hopelessness. Resurrection speaks about hope. Resurrection speaks about life. Resurrection gives us hope because there's life. And Jesus was giving all these people in that room a foretaste of his own bodily resurrection that will happen two and a half years later. And I want you to notice as Jesus takes control, I want you to see a daughter's resurrection. First of all, notice in verses 41 to 42, the daughter's resurrection involved a loving hand. And he took the damsel by the hand. Hey, listen this morning. Jesus physically makes contact with you. He wants to touch your life. And where nobody else was willing to touch her, he extended a loving hand to her. And he said, Talith Akumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Listen, Jesus is actively involved in every salvation decision. When you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, he saves you. You trust Jesus Christ as Savior. He washes away your sins at that moment in time. When you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, He forgives you that moment of every sin that you have. And you immediately at that moment in time become a child of God. It's a loving hand. I want to invite you this morning. Christ right now today in this service is extending a loving hand to you. Because if you're not saved, the Bible describes our condition. We're dead in trespasses and sins. And what we need is the Savior as we see he extends his loving hand to us. That we would just, we take him by the hand or he takes us by the hand. And as he says, damsel, arise. He asks you and I to rise by faith. To rise by faith and just trust him for your salvation today. And Jesus does the impossible. Let me tell you something this morning. It is not possible that you can save yourself. It is not possible that a church can save you. It is not possible that good works can get you to heaven. It is not possible that baptism could save you. It is not possible that any good works we have will save us. Listen, it's not possible for you and me, but it's possible for God to save you. It's possible for God to regenerate you. It's possible for God to transfer you from death to life and take you from darkness to life and to make you from a child of the devil to a child of God. It's possible because all things are possible to Je- through Jesus Christ. We see Christ giving a loving hand. But notice we see the loyal helpers. Jesus raises this girl back to life. And notice in verse 42, as as she arose, and notice the first thing that she started to walk. Now listen, when you get saved, the first thing you do is start walking with God. You get saved, you're not supposed to sit back there and be in seclusion and be a quiet disciple. And no, just like Jesus confronted the, the damsel, the, the lady that had the issue of blood, she, he said, he said she had to tell him the truth. Listen, God wants you to get involved. 2018's here. Let's get involved with the church. Let's get involved with the church. Let's get involved in doing something for the Lord and serving God and do something with your life. And don't say I'm too old and so say I'm too young. Don't say I'm not talented or not talented. You say, you say, well, I can't sing. That's okay. If you can't sing, there's something else you can do. Amen. You say, well, I can't play the string. Well, maybe you can break some strings. Amen. Maybe you can pull some strings. Amen. You know, I'm just saying today we need to understand that everybody can do something. But the most important thing everyone must do, we must walk with the Lord. 
And this damsel rose. She's got new life. Listen, she was declared medically dead and now she's alive. Hey, praise God. You and I were spiritually dead. But when Jesus Christ saved us, he made us spiritually alive in him. This, he takes her by the hand and she starts walking. Notice we see the loyal helpers. They're in amazement. They're not sure what to do. And notice in verse 43, it says, And he charged her straightly that no man should know it. And he commanded that something should be given her to eat. Can I tell you this morning, when you get saved and you are saved, you belong in the local New Testament church. And the local New Testament church is a place where you get fed in your soul. And the Bible says the Bible is being preached and taught so your soul can be fed. And the first thing Jesus said, well, you, you've got life. You need to eat. Hey, that's like in the morning. You wake up. you got to eat. Amen. Before you go to bed, you got to have something to eat. I'm the kind of my wife used to tell me when I was younger. She said, man, she says, you just like to eat. And I said, I do love to eat. Amen. He said, give her something to eat. Why? Well, first, she's a teenager. Amen. But more importantly, because she's got a new life. You need to grow. How are you going to grow if you don't eat the word of God? We're to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're to desire the sincere, pure milk of the word. We're to go. We're to gravitate from the milk of the word to the meat of the word that we grow in substance so we can discern between evil and wrong. Listen, he, he says, give them something. And that tells us the church, our responsibility as a church is to watch why we, everything revolves on preaching. Our responsibility as a church is to feed your souls so that you can grow in Jesus Christ. We see a loving hand and we see the loyal helpers, but notice a living hope. And straightway the damsel rose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged her straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. And would you notice what happened here? This girl's resurrected. One word describes resurrection. Hope. Because we read over in John 11, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection, the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And then later on, Peter, as he heard those words, Peter wrote out something that would help us understand the living hope that is in the resurrection. He said in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does that mean? Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you and I hope. But when he saves us, listen, we are experiencing resurrection in our life too. And here's what it does. As we go on from there, this living hope tells us this, that we receive an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last what does that all mean? Hey listen when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ here's what the power of the resurrection does the power of the resurrection gives you and I a living assurance and hope and security that once you're saved you're always saved you can't lose your salvation you can't lose it no one can take it from you. You have an inheritance that doesn't get old. You have an inheritance that doesn't decay. You have an inheritance that doesn't become obsolete. We have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled. The world can't pollute it. The world can't touch it. And the fate is not away. And by the way, reserved in heaven for you. Your name's written there in heaven. You have a spot in heaven for you. And you say, well, pastor, I still get these insecurities. But look at verse 5 of 1 Peter 1. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. Listen, as long as you have faith in him, it's his power that keeps you saved. Not your power. His power keeps you saved. You're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Jairus needed to keep believing. Just as his faith started to dimmer, to dim, 
It started to flicker. Jesus said, be not afraid. Only believe. All around this room, if you're going through some situation where your faith is starting to flicker. There's more darkness and there's light. I encourage you this morning, keep believing. Keep believing in Christ. And if you've never gotten saved today, I can't think of a better sunny time than this morning to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. By the way, Jairus, who was a man filled with sorrow, his sorrow was turned into joy. Jesus said, you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. Guess what happened to Jairus that morning? His name took on new significance. Remember what I said earlier? His name means whom God enlightens. And the Lord enlightened him about the necessity of just keep on believing. I read the stories I closed this morning about a girl that was 15 years of age. She developed some incurable disease and suffered greatly. Her suffering became so severe, she became paralyzed on one side. And as it continued, she started to lose sight. You know, we take for granted the five senses, our taste and hearing and seeing and all that and smelling. And some of those great senses she had, she started to lose it. She, become, she was paralyzed and her thinking became incoherent and she lost her sight. Of course, her parents watched as she was, was fading there. The family doctor came and made a house call and looked at her. And he looked at the parents and he said somewhat clinically, didn't, you know, he didn't mean to be mean, but he said somewhat clinically the following. He said the statement. He says, well, you know, you just you better enjoy your family time right now because she's the, she has seen her best days. The poor child. Let me tell you, when someone's going through trials, they don't need you to be clinical. They need you to be compassionate. She's seen her best days. Poor child. The girl heard that her hearing had not gone completely out. And she said, no, doctor, my best days are yet to come when I shall see the king and his beauty. And I remind you this morning, the best is still to come for every Christian. Just keep believing Jesus could come at any time. Listen, I'd remind you this morning, just keep believing that he's powerful. Keep believing that he's God and keep believing that he can still save and keep believing that he can answer prayer. Why? Because you can believe that Jesus Christ is the uh, is the eternal son of God who never changes. And so today, as we give the invitation, your faith flickering. Is it going in and out? Is the light bulb about to burn out? Are you sputtering in your faith like a car that's down to its very last gas? Are you someone who's out of air and you're in need of spiritual resuscitation? I'm asking you this morning as a Christian, how about just be like Jairus and keep believing in the Lord today? And today, you're not saved. Everything about this passage we looked at today invites you. By a compassionate Savior who's taking time for you to open your heart and call on Jesus to save this morning. And I'm going to help you with that this morning. Right where you're seated, you can privately ask Jesus to be your Savior this morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many Christians would say this morning, Pastor Fong, God spoke to me today. My faith has been like just like that. It's been flickering. It's been going in and out. And I need to keep believing. Would you pray for me this morning? You'd raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I need to keep believing. You'd raise your hand and say, pray for me. God bless you. Thank you. Who else would say, I need to keep believing. My faith has been going in and out. But pray for me this morning that my faith would increase. You can put your hands down. Now, how about someone here today who's not sure you're saved and going to heaven? 
God wants you to be saved today. It's not possible for a church to save us. It's not possible for a pastor to save you. It's not possible for good works to save you. But it is possible this morning when you put your faith in Jesus' death and shed blood on the cross for your sins and his bodily resurrection, you can be saved this morning. Can I help you today? Right where you're seated. You can invite Christ into your heart right now. Would you pray this prayer and ask Christ to save you this morning? Would you do that? Dear Father in heaven, I am a sinner who needs salvation. I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I take Jesus now by faith to be my Savior, to wash away my sins, and to give me the gift of eternal life. Thank you today for saving me and bringing me to your family. In Jesus' name. Head still bowed and eyes still closed. How many men and women, boys and girls, singles or marrieds, you'd raise your hand this morning and say, Pastor, I just prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to save me this morning. Please pray for me. I want you to know this morning, just like the woman, she asked, he had to declare the truth that she accepted Christ. She made that known. How many would say this morning, I want you to know, I just prayed and accepted Christ to be my Savior. Did anyone like that? Anyone raise your hand and say, I prayed and asked Jesus just a moment ago to be my Savior. Anyone like that? Oh, wait just a moment. Don't delay. Christ invites you to come in just like Jairus did. Would you put your faith in him today? Would you do that? Now, Lord, this morning, thank you for your congregation listening so carefully. But, Lord, our faith needs to be jolted. Our faith needs to be shaken. Our faith needs to be grounded in the Lord. And today I pray you'll help us with flickering faith and faith running out of gas and faith that's in need of resuscitation that we just keep believing this morning because we have a Savior who keeps on working, who keeps on being God, who keeps on being great and mighty. And, Lord, would you do that in our lives? And, Lord, today there's some here today who are not saved. They need Christ before they walk out of this room today. May they trust Christ as their Savior. Lord, as we give the invitation, as a loving Heavenly Father, just as Jairus came to you, I pray that, Lord, folks would come to Christ this morning. Help them to come. Help them to come to the King in His glory. We pray for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Would you stand quickly with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Would you stand with me? If you want to get saved this morning, I invite you to come down the aisle. Make your way out and find one of the altar workers here, Brother Danny, Brother Justin, Brother Long. Take them by the hand and say, I want to get saved this morning. Would you come this morning? How many would come today and say, my faith needs to get stirred. God spoke to me this morning. I need my, my faith needs to get stirred. I need to keep believing like that. I, my faith needs to get stirred. Would you come this morning? Don't delay. Don't put it off. Would you come this morning? There's room at the cross for you. Jesus makes time for you. He stopped here 2960 Merced Street to stop just enough time to speak to you. Would you come this morning? He's making time for you. Would you come? Come right now. We'll sing another stanza. Come. Don't delay. Don't delay. God makes time for you. This is the time to be saved. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is accepted time. Would you trust Christ today? Would you come and ask the Lord, strengthen my faith? Would you come today? Come this morning. Father, thank you for everyone listening so carefully today. Lord, our faith has been shaken and rocked today. And we need to obey you by faith and live for you. This morning, have your way, just as you did with Jairus, just as you did with a woman who was hemorrhaging with blood. God, help us to come, Lord, and not be secret disciples, but, Lord, disciples who come forth acknowledging the power of God in our life. Thank you for your goodness and your grace today. Extend it to us. We pray all these things. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're going to have a connect video.